we talked about last week, what Dr. Egrich, Emerson Egrich talks about, the crazy cycle. We talked about this last week, that we get into this crazy cycle when a woman feels unloved, and then she reacts, often with critique or criticism, which a man receives as disrespect. When he feels disrespected, he reacts, and the cycle continues and continues until you feel so sick to your stomach that you've spun yourself out of love with your spouse. This crazy cycle, I think, is something we can get off. We can actually stop it. We might be able to choose by the end of the day to, to change our thinking and to be able to move into what, what they call the energizing cycle of marriage. We're going to unpack that today and see if we can't help each other. We're going to dive deep today into what are they call the four, the, uh, the God Ministry for, for Marriage calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse of your marriage. Okay, the four horsemen in, the, in Revelation, they bring death and destruction and pain and all the different things to the end of the world. Well, there are four horsemen in your relationship that like to saddle up and cruise into some arguments, into some disagreements. And if they're part of the culture of your marriage, you may be headed for an apocalypse. Those four things are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. I'm going to walk through them. Okay. Now, as advertised, my wife was supposed to be here teaching with me. She was going to teach all the towards the girl stuff things so that you women wouldn't hate me by the end of the sermon, all right? Our schedule didn't work out today, and one of us needed to pick up one of our sons in Wabash at 9.30 this morning, so I got drafted to preach by myself this morning. So ladies, I think you're awesome. I love you. I think you smell good today. Your hair particularly looks very full today, and uh, these things uh, are just wonderful, and so are you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. And uh, anything that I say today that you don't uh, like, uh, blame Jesus. Uh, and uh, any of the good stuff, obviously you can thank me for that. Um, men, uh, this is the third time I've done the talk. I think we're going to be okay by the end of the day. Just, uh, you'll be okay with me, but ladies, um, blame Jesus. All right, so... <laughs> Let's jump in. Last week, we took a look at Ephesians chapter 5, and specifically, we really camped out in verse 33, where Paul brings his whole kind of a, a speech to women and men with this sentence. He says, so, so again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, we took a look at this last, last week and talked about, when it talks about must, that word there is emphatic. It means it's crucial. It's critical. It's a command. Men, we must unconditionally. The word there for love is agape. We must unconditionally love our wives. Meaning when they don't deserve it, which they don't because they're sinful like us, we still love them unconditionally. Do we unconditionally agree with them? No. We unconditionally love them. Love is patient and kind and gentle and connected we as men are commanded to unconditionally love our wives. Interesting, we talked about this last week. Women are not commanded to unconditionally love men. Why? Because women are naturally good at love. It's how God's created. You're created in the image of God in a feminine soul. If you look at feminine culture, you guys do love well. I was just out getting coffee in between service and hearing women talk to each other. And you guys address each other so lovingly. It's like, hey... It's so good to see you. You look beautiful today. I like that dress. Like, it's just you do nurturing and love well. 
So you're not commanded to. Men, we don't do love very well. So we're commanded to love unconditionally. And when we love unconditionally, we empower our woman to be everything that God has created her to be. Ladies, scripture goes on and says women must. It's the same thing. It's emphatic. It's a command. It's critical. It's critical. It's essential. Must respect your husband. Unconditional respect. We talked about it last week. Most of us have never heard that sentence or that term put together. Unconditional respect. Does it mean unconditional agreement? No. Does it mean unconditional affection? No. Does it mean unconditional approval? No. It means unconditional respect. Men are not commanded to unconditionally respect their, their wives. Why? Because men naturally do honor and respect. Within the male culture, it's a culture of honor and respect. We talked about it last week. So we're not commanded to unconditional respect. That women are because you ladies do not naturally respect. You naturally love. And what Dr. Emerson Exeter talks about is maybe we can get on this energizing cycle. If we as men said, I want to unlock my wife's ability to love as God has created her, then my love for her, my unconditional love for her would motivate her unconditional respect for me. So as a man, I would wake up every day and say, my goal is to find ways to unconditionally love my wife. She doesn't deserve it, Darren. Here's all the reasons I didn't ask her. She deserved it because it's unconditional. You love like Christ loves and you unconditionally love your wife. And your love will motivate her unconditional respect. He doesn't deserve respect. There, let me count the ways that he does not deserve my respect. I didn't say he deserved it. I said that God commands you to do it. Talking last service between services with a couple, we said, isn't it interesting that so often, we may not say it like this, but our strategy is, if he's not loving me, we think we're going to motivate the other one in the, in the relationship to give us what we need by denying them what they need most right? I'm not feeling respected, so I'm not loving her. And if I really stonewall and shut off and become unloving, maybe I'll motivate her to respect me. No, you won't. I'm not feeling loved here, so I'm just going to disrespect him. And maybe if I get mean enough, he'll eventually be motivated to love me. That doesn't seem to make sense either. So we don't think about it a ton, but, but I want us to, the word of God wants us to, because what if we could actually energize each other every day? And men, we could say, I will unconditionally love my wife because that's what I'm commanded to do and I want to unlock everything that God has created in her as a woman and my unconditional love would motivate her unconditional respect. And maybe if we learn to love each other the way that Jesus loves us, which we're going to look at, maybe the world would know that we're his disciples because of our love for one another. Jesus, this is hard stuff, so please help. Amen. Four horsemen, let's jump in. Ladies first, okay? Now, ladies, I will tell you, not intentionally, but for the past two sermons, for some reason, I've spent a majority of the time talking to the ladies, and then I've run out of time to talk to the men. So I'm going to try to fix that. It's not intentional. If you don't like it, once again, we're going to blame Jesus, right? Let's all say it together. Jesus. All right. Now, listen. Hey, let's look at these four horsemen. Now, we can 
all use these tactics. However, statistically in all the research, most often women use criticism and contempt, and most often men use defensiveness and stonewalling. Not exclusively. So as we're going through, you may say, oh, no, Darren, that sounds like me. Or no, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm this one. We can equally use them. We're just looking at generally how this shakes out. Criticism is the first horseman. Let's see if we can't find an antidote to this to get this guy from saddling up and bringing the apocalypse of our marriage. Now, let's start with two scriptures. These two scriptures I want to read to you. Uh, usually, uh, most women's Bible studies are written around these two scriptures. I've seen many ladies with tattoos uh, of these scriptures. Uh, really popular in women Bible study culture. Uh, let's just jump in. Proverbs 21, verse 9 it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Then Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. I mean, most of you guys have that tattooed, right? My ladies, it's your go-to. It's like your life verse. A lot of times at like a graduation for nursing students, even though like they come up and, and her life verse is a lot of women. It's like life verse 21, uh, Proverbs 21, 19. Uh, just right below Jeremiah 29.11 is this is usually where they're at. Um, I'm going to say, ladies, most of you didn't know that was in the Bible. And when I read it, you were offended. <laughs> well, Solomon, he's not the wisest person that's ever lived. I can tell you that. He sounds like a sexist pig. Who's mean? Want to live in a desert. Why would you want to live in a desert when we have this nice home that you can't clean? I don't even get it. Ladies, Here's what happens in your marriage is when you criticize, your man hears it as contempt. We said this last week, ladies, you can be absolutely right, but wrong at the top of your lungs. When we look at this idea of unconditional respect and contempt, it's not about agreeing. It's not about bringing actual critique. It's about getting to the place where you're blaming and attacking the essence of who your husband is. Criticism sounds like this. You never think about how your behavior is affecting other people. I don't believe you're that forgetful. You're just selfish and you never think of others and you never think of me. A complaint sounds like this. I was scared when you were running late and you didn't call me. And I thought that we had an agreement that we would do that for each other. You see, criticism grabs huge words like always and never and then looks for themes within the relationship, assumes the worst motivation from the person, and you attack. You never and you always, when we saw it in the video clip, right? In that video clip, we saw the four horsemen running roughshod all over that, mar that marriage. You never, you always, and you attack. Usually when that happens, we men are really good at finding the one time that the never and always don't apply, even if it was in 1998, right? You know, you never and you always, oh, no, 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 I don't. Let me tell you this. One time in 2001, it was October, I remember it, because I did actually do what I said I was going to do. You're wrong. In fact, you're the problem. I don't know. Right? And all of a sudden, here's the apocalypse. What's the antidote? How do we get out of this? Well, we use a gentle startup and we address our feelings and our needs first. That means we start our complaints with the word I, not the word you. 
we take enough time to figure out why is it that I feel unloved? What is the emotion I have because I have a problem? And then we go to our lover, we go to the person that's committed their life to us, and we start our complaint with, I feel. Then the next statement is, and I need. And then the last statement is, would you? Because now I've taken ownership for what I need. Ladies, you need to feel love because God created you that way. So when we are unloving schmucks as guys, start with what you need. I feel this way. What will usually happen when you start with I and not you, your husband will go, really? Because we missed your emotions. Because we're not that bright. And we don't want you to feel that way. You say, I feel, and we go, you do? And I need, and we go, well, I could help with that. So would you? Yes, I would. You may not believe it, ladies, but your husband would love to be the hero of your home. You may not believe this, ladies, but there is not a man in this room that wakes up every day trying to figure out how to make you mad by dinner time. Like we just don't. We don't lay there and go, well, how could I get her just enraged with me by dinner? Well, I could, that's always good. I could forget that, say something mean. Uh, by dinner, I could, yo, this is a foolproof plan. She'll kick me out of the house by nine o'clock, right? No man does that. We genuinely wake up thinking, I would really like to love this woman. I do love this woman. And when you can actually communicate to us in a respectful way what you need and how you feel, I think you'd be amazed at the results you get. It's what Jesus does. You see, Jesus, when he responds to us, always comes to us full of grace and truth. The word of God in John says that Jesus came, right, from God, the glory of God. He came to the earth and he was full of grace and truth. If you've been in a huddle here at Mercy Road, you know about this idea of creating a culture of grace and truth and calibrating that in your communication at all time, ladies. I mean, we all do this, but here's what happens. So often we see grace and truth on a continuum. And so if your husband's been good and you like him today, he gets grace. If he's been a jerk, he gets 100% truth. We think incorrectly that they can't exist together. You're either getting a lot of truth or a lot of grace. But what if we went into communication with each other and said this, ladies, this is what Jesus does. Because how often in the past week or month or year do you think we've made Jesus feel unloved? Probably often. But what I love is that Jesus comes to us with complaints with conviction the holy spirit speaks to us but you know what i've never really experienced from the holy spirit him screaming at me and starting by saying you never you always darren the holy spirit usually gently starts by speaking about himself and he speaks to things that need to be fixed but he does it full of grace and full of truth there is someone that speaks to us with a lot of criticism and contempt. And most of his statements begin with, you are. You know who that is? He's called the accuser. 
the father of lies, the devil. How can we speak truth and grace into our lives and allow us to actually fix and meet each other's needs? Next one, horseman number two, contempt. When we communicate in the state of contempt, we're truly mean. We treat others with disrespect. We mock them with sarcasm. We ridicule. We call them names and mimic or use body language such as eye rolling or scoffing. The target of contempt is to made to feel despised and worthless. Oh, you're tired, are you? Cry me a river, okay? I've been at home all day slaving away to try to take care of everything which you don't pay attention to. All you do is you come home, you flop down and play your idiotic video games because you're still a child. Now I have more than the kids I had before because of you. Could you be any more pathetic? You never do what I need you to do. Oh. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good eye roll. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen those. Uh, my wife is incapable of that kind of thing, and she's, I'm just speaking out of context here. I don't know how any of this actually works. <laughs> so anyway, uh, contempt. Ladies, we said this last week. Most men, when interviewed, they're asked, does your wife love you? And the men quickly go, absolutely, she loves me. Why? Because you're naturally good at love, and we believe you love us. Most men then ask, does your wife like you? And they answer, I don't think so. Or with maybe. But usually with, well, not right now. Darren, that's ridiculous. He knows that I love him and I, I, I don't know if I do like him. We're picking up on it, ladies, just so you know, right? Contempt. It's dangerous. And guess what? Here's the dangerous thing. Contempt is the number one indicator that you're headed for a divorce because it begins to eat at your soul. People who are in a contemptuous relationship, guess what? They actually struggle with being sick more often than people that actually have uh, uh, autoimmune and like immune deficiencies in their life. That the way we actually love or don't love each other in our marriages does have an impact on our own immune system can actually be sick to your heart and soul. Contempt. How do we get rid of it? Well, it's this. Antidote number two. You take him off his saddle, this apocalypse-riding, contemptuous horseman, by building a culture of appreciation. Build a culture of their appreciation. Here's the thought. Look at their desire, not their performance. Look at their desire not their performance, and appreciate that. Magic five to one ratio is five positive comments to everyone that's negative. Five positive to everyone that's negative. Here's how this could work. A culture of honor and appreciation is, is I know I just keep coming back to the, to the come home late from work, but it's easy. Okay, we can, we can, we can uh, 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 I think I'll, I'll relate with it. Is you could start with this, ladies, or men, because men, we can be connectors too. Late feeling unloved, unsafe, like your cares and your desires and your feelings don't matter. You could start with this. Hey, I want to let you know I appreciate how hard you work. You get up every day and you go to work and a lot of people don't have to. They don't do that and you do. 
And I know you don't love your job, but you get there and you stay late because I know that you care about doing a good job. And I appreciate that you do that. But when you come home, I feel like I'm not as important. And I need to feel like I'm the most important thing in your life other than God. So would you try to call or just be here when you say you can? Your husband feels respected and guess what? He's motivated to love. And he says, yes, I'm sorry. I will try to be your hero. I was talking to Lisa Graft, who helps co-host Radio Theology with me, and she said, you know, Darren, what I've tried to do recently is I've decided to try to let my husband be the hero of our home. She said a lot of times when I would get angry and overwhelmed by all the stuff with the kids and life and whatever and think I've got to be superwoman and do it all myself, and then I just get angry when he's not helping, and then I get contemptuous and I attack him. She's like, what I've realized now is that if I invite him into what's going on inside of me and ask him to help me in those moments is I set him up to actually be the hero in our home. And it's amazing what happens when I see him go, yes, I am helping, I am needed. I'm married to a woman who is amazing. Like my wife is like a superwoman. She continually blows me away by what she can accomplish in life. But you know what some of the favorite times, I haven't said this in any of the sermons, this is a bonus for you guys. One of my favorite times in our 16, almost 17 years of marriage were the three times that we had kids. You want to know why they're my favorite time, ladies? Because it was times that my wife was actually incapacitated and invited me to actually help her. And I felt like I was really needed in my home. Some of you ladies are so good at taking care of all the stuff that it's tough for your husband to see that he's actually necessary in your home. But if you look at his desire, he really does love you. And he really wants to figure out how to do it. Invite him into that. That's how Jesus treats us. That's what I love about Jesus. When Jesus is even talking to the churches in Revelation, who these guys have some pretty major rubs in the letters in Revelation, the things they've done wrong. Go back and watch and read those scriptures. What's interesting is Jesus starts with a gentle startup, and he appreciates something about the church before he brings a rebuke to them. I know you hate these practices. I know you stood up for this. I know you've done this well. Let me show you that I appreciate you. Let me honor your effort. But we do need to address this issue. Even with Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be betrayed and then sent to the cross. Like if there's one time that he could use his disciples really showing him that he feels loved, it would be in this moment. And what do they do? They take a nap. And Jesus comes back and he says, you worthless disciples, you're lazy bums, you never help me. Can't you see I'm about to die for the world? Right? No, he didn't say that. Jesus comes back. He does say, guys, could you not? You couldn't stay awake. And then he says, you know what? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's not okay with what they've done, but he's appreciative. He doesn't attack them. It's grace. It's truth. It's a culture of honor. And if we could embrace that, who knows what might happen? Is our unconditional love, men, may motivate her unconditional respect and your unconditional respect ladies may motivate his unconditional love and we could be energizing each other all right guys let's jump in ladies hope we're still friends four horsemen 
Number three, defensiveness. Guys, this is our usual go-to. Defensiveness. Unfortunately, this strategy is almost never successful. Our excuses just tell our partner that we don't take their concerns seriously and that we won't take responsibility for our mistakes. It sounds like this. Uh, hey, did you call Betty and, uh, and Ralph and let them know that we weren't going to come to dinner tonight as you told me you would do this morning? Defensive response is this. Uh, no, uh, uh, I'm too busy today. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know how busy my schedule is on Wednesdays. I mean, why didn't you just do it? Can't you help? Crazy cycle. I used to do this real well early in my marriage. Uh, most of my responses, the first two words to my wife, whenever she would bring a concern or something that she needed from me, I would start with this. Um, no. How's that for a welcoming response, right? Uh, Darren, you said this. And why, why aren't you doing these things? Well, it happens here. Like she's bringing something where I don't feel loved. Here's what I'm saying. Here's my perspective. And I would respond with, um, no. And then explain to her why what she thought wasn't valid and why she was probably the problem. That strategy didn't work well. Men, 80% of communication is body language. Any other men know how to do the burrowed brow real well? I do this all the time. Hey, guys, how loving does this look right here? Right? Just invite, doesn't, aren't I inviting you in right now to just share your heart's desires and your fears? Right? <laughs> And sometimes, guys, we, we, we're, this is a blind spot for us. We don't realize. When we become defensive, we cause disconnection with our spouse. Defensiveness causes dis disconnection. And ladies, you're really good at love, and love means connection. So men, when we get defensive, what our wife is receiving that out is disconnection. That's why she keeps talking to you. That's why she keeps moving towards you, because she's trying to reestablish a connection. And your defensiveness is just causing more and more disconnection. We can't be defensive, fellas, because guess what? We're responsible for our response. It's on us. You are responsible for your response. We have to defend against this. Guys, we have to be the defender against defensiveness. The antidote here is acceptance and taking responsibility. Acceptance and taking responsibility. Here's a quick little statement, guys, that we could use. When we have a situation where our spouse is coming at us, we could say this. Let's say maybe she's fired up. Maybe it's a little disrespectful. You could start and say this. That felt disrespectful. Did I do something unloving? Right? Instead of blowing up, I'm going to defend against defenses. I'm going to try my best to not get defensive. Here's what I'm going to try. If I have emotions and I can't understand them and that felt a little disrespectful, I'm going to start with that felt disrespectful. Then I'm going to take responsibility. Did I do something unloving? Which gives your wife an opportunity to go, yes, you did. You did this. You said you're going to do this. And I feel and I need and would you? And as a man at that point, you can go, yeah, I would. I'm sorry. That wasn't my intention. Okay? Once again, this is the way that Jesus loves us. I love the fact that Jesus says things like this. Because see, guys, as men... We're created to remember and to move towards relationship. Defensiveness is us retreating and disconnecting. I love when Jesus says things like this. I will never leave you or forsake you. God's number one goal with us is connection and nothing, neither pain nor death, will prevent him from moving towards us. Isn't that what Romans 8 tells us? That nothing, right? Death angels, demons, anything, nothing will be able to separate us 
from the love of Jesus. And men, that's what your wife needs to know. That you will not sulk and get defensive and disconnect. When she brings a concern, you will say this, I will not get defensive. I will defend against defensiveness and I will move towards you even when I'm scared. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We will stay connected. Guys, when we don't do that, we go into our next tactic, which the fourth, the last four, the fourth of the four horsemen is this. Stonewalling. 85% of stonewalling is done by men. Stonewalling is when you emotionally shut down and become like a brick wall to your spouse. 85% is us men, we do this. Most of our women feel like they're living with a brick wall. Ladies, let me tell you this real quick. We're not always trying to. They say stonewalling begins at about 110 beats per minute. What that means is this, is ladies, we don't process verbally as well as you do or emotions. So sometimes when you come at us with your desire to connect, because guys, a lot of times your wife's criticism could be decoded. If you're not going to be defensive, you decode it by her saying, I need you to love me, right? We can't process that, ladies. And so what happens is as you process more verbally, you get calmer. As we're getting psychologically flooded, we get up, heartbeat, 110 beats a minute. I can't take it. Stonewall. Here's an image I want you to think about, ladies. Because this actually sometimes is actually a strategy of honor. Taken as a lifestyle, it's an apocalypse. Think about this. Think about the last fight you got into with your spouse. Now take it out of your bedroom or out of the kitchen and place you and your spouse in a bowling alley. And let's trade you out, sweet, wonderful woman, for a six foot three, 300 pound bearded man with lots of tattoos and your husband. And you're in a bowling alley. And the big guy with the tattoos and the beard comes with the aggression and the tone of voice and the speed of words that you were bringing your husband. And he's in a bowling alley with you and the kids. Guess what your husband's going to do in that moment? He's going to stonewall. Why? Because he comes from a culture of respect and honor. And he realizes if he responds and reacts to this attack with the anger and the stress that's in him, he's going to get in a fight at the bowling alley with a guy who may break him in half. And he doesn't want to die and or dishonor his family by getting in a fight at a bowling alley. Now, I know you can't see this going on inside your husband because all you see is this. But inside, he honestly is trying to honor you. Now, most of us men, we've become professionals at this and it's just how we live. And it doesn't work because women feel silence as hostility. Dr. Emerson Edgeworth said. So when you're quiet and you think you're trying to honor the situation, men, she's feeling hostility because she was made to love and she wants to reconnect. So guys, here's what we have to do. You have to tap out and self-soothe. Means you need to tell your wife, you know what, I need, can I get 15 minutes? And then let's come back and talk about this. And when you do that, you have to take care of your soul, find something that calms you down and brings you back to who God's created you to be and then re-enter the conversation. I love the fact that Jesus never stonewalls us, don't you? His number one desire is connection. And imagine this, guys. How often do you think Jesus felt disrespected in his life? 
And what do we see time and time again? Jesus going away to pray and to spend time with the Father to take care of his soul. So when he had to go out the next day and deal with the barrage of disrespect he was going to get from humanity, he would not shut down and stonewall, but could be who God created him to be and to move towards connection. Guys, we can't stonewall. And I know it's scary and it's not fun. It's one of my greatest strengths just this weekend, right? Teaching about love and respect. Pastor Darren's got to have it all figured out. Guess what? I don't. I'm terrible at it. So I've been trying to do some better things, make my marriage better. And guys, you ever have it where you, you figure a couple things out and then you expect it's going to fix everything in about 48 hours and then it doesn't and you get mad? Yeah, I did that. Thinking I'm doing the right thing and, I, and then I get, think I get the, I'm supposed to get the response that I want from my wife and guess what? I didn't get it. And guess what I did? I got defensive. And I went quickly from defensiveness into stonewalling. So yesterday I woke up and my wife woke up to a brick wall. Walked downstairs, step, step one of stonewalling, no eye contact. It's good, it's good. No eye contact straight to the coffee pot. Also good, no words. She wakes up, good morning. Yeah. Something, something wrong? Yeah, see some coffee, it's coffee. <laughs> so stupid. I sit in silence at the breakfast table. And I know she knows what I'm doing because we've been married long enough, but it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to stay at the wall. Got to take my son to Wabash, get in the car. I'm driving an hour and a half with my 12-year-old son, and I realize I'm now stonewalling my son. We're driving, and I'm not speaking to him. And I'm like, what am I doing right now? And he's like, uh, hey, Dad, uh, what's the difference between a lake and a reservoir? <laughs> I'm like, I, but I... I make something up about water moving. I don't know. <laughs> On the way back, I take some time and I begin praying, listening to some worship music, listening to a book on how to do this better. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come and criticize or yell at me or anything, but he just gently is like, Darren, you're a man and you're called to remember my heart, to remember my truth and move towards your wife. And right now you're defensive and you're stonewalling and it's not working. So I'm going to encourage you to go home and explain this to your wife and sit down next to her and say you're sorry and tell her that you'll never stop pursuing her. And I was like, yeah, Holy Spirit, that sounds terrible. How about I pull out all of my fingernails one by one? <laughs> but I went home because I'm committed to unconditional love. And I sat down with my wife and I said, I know what I was doing this morning. I got defensive because it didn't work out how I wanted it to. And then I stonewalled you this morning. And I'm sorry. And she said, I know what you were doing. And I said, shut up, woman. I'm trying to apologize. <laughs> I didn't say that. I took her hand and I said, babe, I said, we've been married for 16 years. And I know I've not always done a great job. And they say it takes about a month for every year that you've screwed it up. And I said, I want you to know that for 16 months, I'm committed to learn to love you like this. And I'm not going to stop. I'm going to move towards you. And we connected. And it was a good connection. But guys, this is so hard to do. And the only way we're going to do it is by seeing it as our opportunity to love like Jesus. Because guess what? He doesn't deserve it, ladies. And fellas, neither does she. But we're not talking about what we deserve. We're talking about what we're commanded to do. Unconditional love, unconditional respect. And if we learn it, we may energize each other enough that the world will see our love for one another. And they'll say... Those are disciples of Jesus.